0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey, guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate. This week, we have Annie Dickerson. So normally, I would talk a little bit about Annie. But her resume is so extensive that I'm going to let her introduce herself.
1: Oh, stop, Brian. <laughs> well, I'm super excited to be here. I love the whole message behind crushing it in real estate. Um, and that's exactly what we set out to do. Mm-hmm. I am a co-founder um, of a company called Good Egg Investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my business partner, Julie Lamb, uh, we're both um, busy moms. And we set out uh, to help other moms and other parents to create passive income for their families through investing passively in real Mm -hmm. estate through real estate syndications, which are group investments. Wow. So we got together about a year and a half ago or so. Um, to really set off on this mission to help educate people about what syndications are. Mm -hmm. And um, in that time, um, we really got off to a a pretty fast start. And in the year and a half that we've been in business, we've done um, almost 25 um, real estate deals, mostly large-scale multifamily Mm -hmm. um, in Texas and the Southeast, and we're doing mostly multifamily, and we've, we've uh, co-sponsored about 5,800 doors at this point.
0: Holy moly.
1: <laughs> we don't sit back and relax. We crush it. If we're going to do it, we're going we're gonna to crush it. <laughs>
0: It, it, oh, yeah. So I also want to add that Annie just published her book authentication syndication. So Annie, how can our listeners find out more about this book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our book is called Investing for Good, the surprising strategy for building wealth while also making an impact. And um, that's really what we wanted to impress upon people was mm-hmm. that. When you invest in real estate, it's different from when you're investing in stocks or mutual funds, where your money is just. I actually, when I invest in stock, I don't actually know where my money is is going. <laughs> you know, it's like if I invest in Facebook, you know, is it contributing to um, you know better Facebook ads or a better Facebook? feed experience. I have no idea where that money goes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, But when you invest in real estate, um, you really have the opportunity to make an impact in these local communities. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win for everyone involved. Um, So that's what the book is all about. It's about how syndications work, how people can get involved and the Mm -hmm. impact that they can really have on um, these communities.
0: Definitely. Yeah, really excited to uh, check that, that book myself. So I'll be searching for it after this podcast.
1: <laughs> Sweet.
0: So, Annie, so if we were to take a step back to early in your real estate career, can you tell us a story of how you got started?
1: Yes, I would love to because it was completely by accident. (laughs) I never thought I would get into real estate. In fact, growing up, I only lived in apartments. My Mm -hmm. parents never bought a house the whole time I was growing up. And I never even, it never even occurred to me, like somebody owns this apartment building that I'm living in, Mm -hmm. and they are collecting these rent checks that we're writing every month. It just never, Mm -hmm. I just never thought about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so it it was after college, um, my husband and I had just gotten married, and we set out to buy our first house. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and being young and hip, we were, we were like, let's buy a loft or a <laughs> condo in Adams Morgan or one of the other trendy neighborhoods in D.C. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, we had a wise real estate agent guiding us, and he said, you know, you could do that, but in D.C. there's also these um, these row homes are very popular, mm-hmm. and some of them have two units in them. They so have, what
0: exactly are row homes?
1: Yeah, good question. So if you think of a town home, you know, where there's like one home right next to the other, there's no space in between them.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: very common in some of the northeastern cities, um, like D.C., Philadelphia, Boston, because you know, there's just no space. So they pack all the homes together. And so we then thought, oh, you're right. We could buy a row home. And, and our agent said, you know, if you buy a row home, you could live in one unit and you could rent out that basement in-law suite. Mm-hmm. And you could start collecting the rent and that could help pay off your mortgage. mm mm-hmm. And we had never heard of this before. Yeah. And we were like, wait, wait, you mean somebody else could help us pay our mortgage?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so we really glommed onto this idea. And so that was our first experience was through house hacking. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even set out to get into real estate. We were just like, oh, cool. We bought a house with two units. Okay, well, that seemed to work. Let's buy another house with two units. Mm-hmm. So we kept house hacking these duplexes every time we uh, saved up. How our exactly money,
0: would you guys finance these houses initially?
1: Initially, we got in with a, an FHA loan. So we put okay. in just, I think we put in maybe 15000 on that very first wow. property. Um, it was an almost $500,000 home, but we mm-hmm. were able to put in very little. Um, of course, we had to pay mortgage insurance, um, mm-hmm. but the the rent from our tenants sort of helped to offset that.
0: Definitely. Can you explain to your listener what is an FHA loan and how does it work?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You might have to help me. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> an FHA loan is um, typically for first-time homeowners. Um, mm-hmm. It allows you to put as little as 3% down on a home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, it's a program, it's a federal program to help people to um, buy homes.
0: Okay, so yeah, Annie's pretty much on point. So FHJ usually is used by first-time homebuyers, but at the same time, you kind of reuse it over and over, but you can only allow... Only one FHA is allowed to your name at a time. So essentially, you can buy an FHA house, a refi into a conventional loan, and do it again next year. But the only condition with FHA is that you have to live in the house for a year. So it has to be owner-occupied.
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, maybe I should try an FHA loan again.
0: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely powerful, especially in the more expensive market of like the Bay Area highly effective to knock down these $1 million duplexes or triplexes.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: So going back, so you bought a row house with your husband and you're like, okay, let me get other people to essentially pay your mortgage. And you kind of became a landlord for that. And how did your process continue from there?
1: Yeah. So then um, we continued to house hack these duplexes for a number of years and then it wasn't until a few years ago, um, you know, my husband is a real estate agent now, mm-hmm. and he, um, I realized one year that he really could use some help with his website, his <laughs> online marketing, <laughs> to put it nicely. Um, so it, I was working as a creative director at the time, and I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I'll take on this side, side project. So I took it upon myself to redo his website, and in the process, I learned more about real estate investing myself, even Mm -hmm. more than he knew. Um, And at at this point, I realized, holy cow, I need to quit my job and focus on real estate investing Uh because I could make way more money here than I am Mm -hmm. in my job.
0: What were you doing before?
1: Well... I was, so I was a creative director in the instructional design space, creating mm-hmm. courses for companies. Wow. And so nothing to do with real estate. In fact, mm-hmm. I started out as a fourth grade teacher, then went into game design and then went into instructional design. Never had real estate in my mind. Mm-hmm. Never. Never. And, but at this point I had done some research and realized how powerful real estate investing could be, but I didn't even have syndications. I didn't even know what syndications (laughs) were at this point. I was just like, okay, we need to buy another duplex. And then I realized that's not going to happen because now we live in the very, very expensive Bay area and it's just crazy to, to lug around, not only our kids, but have to spend all this money. Mm -hmm. so we're like okay that's out let's invest out of state so I thought surely you know we've done these house hacks we could do an out-of-state rental property it'll be easy (laughs) I did all the research and followed all the rules and we quickly um, invested in uh, 20 plus doors in Huntsville Alabama which I had done all this research and identified Huntsville as an emerging market Mm -hmm. and so we had these 20 plus doors, and we're like, Yeah, this is great, all this cash flow is coming in, mm-hmm. and then it wasn't. <laughs> We re- <laughs> so we realized that investing in developing areas yes is very different
0: very different. Um,
1: house hacking where <laughs> the tenants are much like us, they have jobs, they tell us when things go wrong, they pay on time, sometimes they pay early.
2: Yeah. Whereas
1: with these tenants in these out of state properties, mm-hmm. You know, they were living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. We're stealing things. Sometimes they were vandalizing the properties. There were always questions from our property manager. You know, this person said they got into a car accident. They can't pay for another week. Do you want to evict them? You know, things like that, that we Mm -hmm. were not prepared for. So. Along the way, you know, we were sharing with our friends and family what we were doing, and they wanted to get in. They wanted to do what we were doing. But as we explained the process, they realized how many steps there were to actually buying an out-of-state rental property. Mm -hmm. And they said, ah, forget it. That's too hard. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, there has to be some way for us to help people to invest in real estate with our experience and our connections. And that's when I found out about real estate syndications. Wow. And started down the path of trying to do my own syndication. Mm-hmm. I thought, how hard could it be? I've done a four unit. I could do a forty unit. It's probably the same thing.
0: <laughs> I like the same mindset. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Right, right. You're like, it's just a number. It's just a different number of units. It's the mm-hmm. same concept. Um, but I had no idea that the world of syndication is complete. Different. The process of investing mm-hmm. is completely different. Commercial loans are very different, all of that. Um, so then I had the opportunity by chance to raise money for somebody else's real estate syndication. Wow. And at first I said, Heck, no, I'm not going to raise money for your deal. Raising money is the hardest. Exactly. That's what (laughs) I thought. I was like, raising money is the hardest part of the whole thing. Why would I want to raise money for your deal? Mm -hmm. But then this person explained to me, well, you know, this is a great opportunity. And by raising money for this opportunity, you are still the only point of contact for your investors. But what you're telling your investors is that you can give them access to great opportunities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So then I thought, hmm, yeah, you're right. So I gave it a chance, and as soon as I started, I realized I loved it. Because raising capital is all about investor education.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: re- remember I mentioned that I started out as a fourth grade teacher because I've always been passionate about mm-hmm. education, especially teaching people about concepts like syndication that are only traditionally have only been available for a select group of people. And so through, through raising capital for this deal, I realized that I didn't want to do the whole syndication myself. I just wanted to focus on the raising capital piece. And that's what we do now.
0: That's pretty insane. Because You talk to all syndicators, most mostly don't like raising the capital part. Yeah, you're like, I'm ecstatic about it. I know you're going to be successful. You know, you're excited about the hard things. Everything else is easy.
1: Yep, exactly. Well, I feel the same way is I look at people who are out there looking at, you know, meeting with brokers and going to the properties, playing golf with the brokers, schmoozing and, Mm -hmm. and then underwriting the properties and doing the asset management. I look at that and I think, holy cow, that's so much work, you know? So that's the that's the power of partnerships. And yeah. that's, when Julie and I came together, we had very complementary skill sets. And any time that we partner with other sponsor operators, mm-hmm. it's because we bring something to the table that they don't want to do or can't do. Mm-hmm. And likewise, they bring something to the table um, that we're missing as well.
0: Wow, that sounds really great. Hey, for our listeners, so... Joe Dickerson is Andy's husband. He's been on the podcast in our earlier episodes. If you want to check out more tips and ideas in house hacking, please listen to the podcast. Sorry, shameless plug. (laughs) And uh, what Andy mentioned earlier about out-of-state tenants with problems, I completely understand. Uh, My eight unit is also in a developing area in Columbus. And let me tell you, it hasn't been easy.
1: <laughs> tell us a horror story. Tell us something that's uh that was an unexpected surprise or or um yeah.
0: Okay, I have one story. So okay. my new property manager calls me. He's like, Okay, I have something to tell you. I'm like what? i walk into one of your units and the ceiling is missing. I was like, What? How do you how do you are you take off the ceiling? <laughs> so he sends me a picture of a gigantic hole in the roof. I'm like I don't understand how this happened. He, looks, he calls me. He's like, yeah, I don't understand either. And the next day, he texts me. He's like, hey, would you want to file a police report? I was like, what's going on now? So it, it turns out, like, one of the units I, I evicted, he tried to break into the other unit next door through the vents. This. You, try to, you try to crawl through the vents to break through to another unit. I was like, wow, I am never going to buy in a C-class neighborhood again.
1: I know, right? <laughs> they are so creative. <laughs> got, like, I think they've got like time on their hands and they're like, how can I? You know, like we've had a similar situation where we evicted somebody or we tried to evict them. Mm-hmm. And the day before the sheriff was set to show up, they stopped up all the sinks and tubs their in their, to- in their yeah. unit, left the water running and took off and it yeah. flooded not just their unit, but three out of the four units in that fourplex. And <laughs> so it's like, sometimes I'm just like, I gotta give them some kudos for their creativity.
0: Exactly, right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Missing
1: feeling, that is something else.
0: <laughs> so my new partners and I, we work together, and they're like, do you wanna still invest in C-class buildings, Brian? I'm like, no. <laughs> 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 I already paid the extra for the premium tenants.
1: <laughs> uh-huh, exactly, I'm with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so that 's that so Annie, can you kind of walk us through how you find your syndication deals and walk us through like what it takes to become a great syndicator like yourself and Julie?
1: You know one of the things that we always tell people is because we are not on the ground in these markets looking for these deals, we are looking for the teams mm-hmm. who are on the ground in these markets who um, are who have those relationships with the brokers. So we are really, our hard work is finding those teams who mm-hmm. have a strong track record, but who also need partners like us to help them take down these bigger deals. Wow. And so that's what we're always looking for. Um, and so- those teams. Oh, my gosh. It's so hard. It's so hard because, you know, you said (laughs) earlier, right, that um, a a lot of syndicators don't they're intimidated by raising capital. Mm -hmm. And it's true when we let people know that we're capable of raising money. Everybody comes out of the woodworks and they're like, oh, you know how to raise money. I got a deal for you. Oh, I got a deal. Everybody's <laughs> like, look at my deal. Look at my deal.
2: Yeah,
1: And um, so it's incredibly hard to separate out those, those people who have experience mm-hmm. and integrity and a track record um, from those who are just starting out who may we mean so. to you.
0: Do you talk to every single one of these people individually, and I give you a call? and Like, hey, I have a great deal. Like, I'm dealing with a similar problem where I'm constantly in texts, like deals after deals, but it takes up too much time. So, do you have a system or process that you kind of work towards? For myself, we have a VA. Like, all the emails go to her. She filters it. She does quick dirty numbers. Like, we look at it. I'm like, okay, like it makes sense. And then we do talk to that person. Otherwise, like there's if there's no screener, like you're getting like 100, 100 emails, 100 calls a day. Like, how do you handle that?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, and I used to. I, I think Julie and I, well, Julie's better about it than I am, but I will give anybody the time of day. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to I used to be like "Oh sure let 's hop on a call, you know, and it was just taking up too much time mm-hmm. and so these days usually we're we 're looking for um, referrals from other people that we know okay. so other sponsors and operators. Um so we typically don't uh we wouldn't consider doing a deal with somebody just who just emailed us with an opportunity um because it would take too much time to get to know them. And typically and here's a trap that many new syndicators fall into is we see a lot of people who contact us um with their first deal. They've got their con they're under contract Mm -hmm. on this great apartment complex that they've underwritten and they but now they've got like maybe 60 days to raise the money Mm -hmm. and they haven't talked to a single investor yet, or maybe Mm -hmm. they've just started and they've realized they can't raise a million dollars in 30 Mm -hmm. to 60 days. And so now they're scrambling. They've done all this work up front. They've put Mm -hmm. in their money and they've got this deal under contract, but they don't, they can't see a clear path to closing the deal. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And we see that all the time. So, with newer syndicators, you know, we always recommend start with the capital first. The egg Don't and the chicken, right? deal. Yeah. <laughs> People always try to start with a deal and we say, no, you got to start with the capital first because that takes a longer time. Mm-hmm. Think about it, right? Like, to get your friends and family to invest $50,000 with you, mm-hmm. that's going to take a lot of conversation, answering a lot of questions, right? I absolutely
0: agree with that one.
1: Yeah. So we tell people, and people, but people don't know how to do it. They're like, well, how can I possibly talk to friends and family if mm-hmm. I don't have a deal on the table? Yeah. And so we always say, well, you don't have to have a deal on the table. You just tell them what you're up to and then you create a sample deal mm-hmm. deck and you take that to them and you say, well, I don't have a deal right now. Mm-hmm. But if and when I do have a deal, it's going to look something like this. Let me walk you through it. Mm-hmm. You answer all their questions up front, and you prime mm-hmm. them so that they get to a point where they're like, okay, the next time you have a deal like this, I'm in. <laughs> then you create a list like that. And now yeah. you've got a list of, let's say, 10 people who will invest with you. So now mm-hmm. you've got in your back pocket. Holy moly. And that completely changes the situation. When you go to talk to brokers, you're confident that you can now bring that money to the table. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely different situation.
0: So what kind of questions and concerns do these potential private money, like what kind of questions do they have and they ask you? Oh, they
1: don't ask any (laughs) questions. They they know it all. Oh man, we we get all kinds of questions. You know, I think the the most common questions are around protecting their money. Of course. Yeah. Right. I think people on the f- the first questions that people always ask mm-hmm. are um when am I going to get my money back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they they not even care like most indicators they launch right into um projected returns, right? Like look how much money I can get you over 5 years, but Mm-hmm. The newer investors, they're mm-hmm. thinking, well, I have this thing over here called my savings account. Yeah. If I put my $100,000 in my savings account mm-hmm. in five years, that money is still going to be there. It's exactly. So that's the benchmark that they're comparing your opportunity to. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, they're thinking, well, if I put, take this $100,000 out of my savings account and I put it into this thing with you that I can't log in and see, mm-hmm. like, how do I know that I'm going to get that $100,000 back?
0: So yeah, I think that's the thing that like, drives most private money people crazy is that they can't see their money, you know? Mm-hmm. And not yeah. just that... I don't know how you deal with it, but when I get private money, I always get constant texts, like, how's the project doing? Like, can you send me pictures? And you almost feel like an eye banker in a way where you're just like, oh my God, like, just relax, dude. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I, I how do you respond to that kind of questions and stress? Like,
1: Well, that's we them? do a lot of that education up front before we release a deal. Mm-hmm. So we do most of our work with our uh, Educating our investors in between deals when we don't have a live deal that we're raising for. Okay, that's when we let them know what to expect. We teach them the process. And to your point about um, those those nervous investors, you know, we let them know exactly what to expect once they wire in their funds. So once you wire in your funds, you're going to get a confirmation from us. And Mm -hmm. then you'll hear from us when the deal closes. And then after that, You will get an email update from us once a month, Mm -hmm. sometimes with pictures, but definitely with things like the current occupancy and the latest uh, updates that we've done Mm -hmm. on the property. So they know going in to expect once a month email updates from us.
0: Okay. Wow. So once a month email updates, can you kind of walk us through like your structure and how you do your payouts to investors? Is it quarterly, biweekly?
1: Oh, bi-weekly. That would be great. It looks like a page right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we should consider that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So most of our investments um, pay out on a monthly basis. Okay. And um, typically the projected returns are... Um, are an 8% preferred return, and I'll come back to that in a second, Mm -hmm. um, per year, 8% preferred return per year over a span of five years Mm
2: -hmm. with
1: an additional about 60% um, at the sale of the property. Okay. So let me walk you through it with a $100,000 investment example. Sounds great. So if you were to invest $100,000 now over a five-year cold period. So what would happen is, I mean, well, let me first explain. Over that five-year period, what we're doing is over the first two to three years, we're going in and renovating all of the units in that property. Okay. So typically we're buying like 200 plus unit apartment buildings. So right when we buy it, there's a certain number of units that are vacant. So Mm -hmm. we start there and we upgrade those units. And then as leases come due, then we offer to move those tenants into the newer units for a Mm -hmm. little bit of a premium. And usually they're ecstatic to see these new finishes and these new floors, new kitchens, and they're more than happy to move into the new units. And so then we go in and turn over their vacated units. And it's almost like a domino effect. You know, one by one, we're going through um, to renovate all the units. And it takes about two years
0: two years okay
1: so then um then after that two years we're really i mean at that point we are technically ready to sell and we'll be watching the market um Mm. to see what when is a good time to sell and so we say five years to give us a little bit of a buffer period um to to set investor expectations so with that hundred thousand you're investing $100,000 today, um, so you're you're expecting to keep that $100,000 in the investment for the entire five years. It's not it's not a liquid investment, so you can't just pull it out um, mm-hmm. at will. But you will get those monthly distributions that add up to about $8,000 per year, which comes out to about $667 a month. Okay. And then on the back end, so at that five-year mark when we sell, you'd get your $100,000 back and then you'd get another about $60,000 in profits. So all together you you would have gotten $8,000 per year over 5 years which is 40,000 plus the 60,000 on the back end. So we're basically aiming to double your money from 100 to $200,000 in 5 years.
0: Wow, that was a great thorough breakdown, Annie. I absolutely love that.
1: (laughs) I've done this a time or two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I talk to other syndicators, they always confuse me. I'm like, what's what's the payoff structure again?
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, that reminds me. I wanted to go back to the term preferred return because I mentioned that. So uh, an 8% preferred return means that the first 8% of any returns go 100% to the passive investors the um the general partners the sponsors don't get any of that first eight percent it's only after and above that eight percent then we typically go to a 70 30 split 70 mm-hmm. to the investors 30 to the sponsors
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then if it hits an even higher threshold typically around 14 percent ir Mm-hmm. Then we'll split it
2: 50-50.
1: Wow. So what this does is called a waterfall structure. And mm-hmm. what it does is, is that it really aligns the interests between the passive investors and the sponsors or those general partners who are operating this deal mm-hmm. because those sponsors would not go into a property if they didn't think they could at least make 8% because mm-hmm. then they wouldn't get paid. Yeah, And the fact that we have this waterfall structure in place, it really incentivizes the sponsors to work as hard as possible to get those returns as high as possible, because that means they get paid more.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's also a really good definition as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I told you I was a teacher.
0: I love it. <laughs> I,
1: love
0: <this> <laughs> I love you, Ms. Dickerson. Great information here. Do you know,
1: I'll tell you a funny story. Mm-hmm. I used to teach fourth grade and one, um, you know, my name is, my last name is Dickerson. And um, one day one of my students came up to me and she's snickering, she's like, Dickerson, do you know, you have a word in your name? I'm like, <laughs> what? What name? Tell me. And all the kids are like laughing in the corner.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, yeah. so funny. That <laughs> is So right now, I want to switch gears a little bit and find out more about you, Annie. So can you tell us what is your biggest source of motivation? What keeps you driven every single day and what keeps you going when you when when you're not working on a deal or you're not fundraising money like there's a lot of in-between time you know how do you keep yourself motivated on a daily basis
1: you know it comes back to the mission and vision of what we set out to create with good egg investments Mm -hmm. which is you know we really wanted to make these opportunities available to people who had never heard of them before Mm -hmm. moms who are out there who are working their asses off (laughs) Um, every day they've got carpool to take care of they've got a full-time job Mm -hmm. they've got a commute you know they've got to get dinner on the table they've got laundry to do and they Mm -hmm. just don't know another way
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and it always comes back to that mom um, and how we can get our message out there to more people so that we can reach her Mm -hmm. So that we can reach all the moms out there who are struggling, who have worked very hard to save money, Mm -hmm. but they don't know any other way besides the traditional paths of 401k and investing in the stock market. They've just never heard that there's another way. So So it always comes back to, you know, every little thing that I do every day builds you know, builds the business a little bit more, and gets us one step closer to being able to reach all those moms out there.
0: Wow, I love the message a lot. How about uh, for yourself, do you have any kind of morning routines or rituals that you follow? <sighs>
1: Brian, I am I am an on again, off again kind of a person. So for a while there, I was doing great. I would get up at five AM in the morning and I, you know, I would have the whole, you know, the miracle morning routine. I would do mm-hmm. that whole thing. Um, and it was great. I felt great. And then, you know, for a while I'd fall off the wagon and I'd sleep in. So, you know, at the moment I'm sort of at the fall off the wagon phase. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We're sort of in a crunch phase um, in our business. We've um, recently launched... Uh, a course called Real Estate Accelerator that helps people learn to do what we do, namely mm-hmm. raise capital and scale their business, so they can do bigger real estate deals. Mm-hmm. But part of launching an online course is there is a ton of work to do. Um, so that's that's what I've been focused on the last several weeks is creating mm-hmm. content for that course.
0: I love it. I mean, I, I have I have somewhere on my desk like that she created a, I mean, a course to like. Flip houses and invest out of state. You so should props, props to you. Like that is a lot of road mapping and getting it done. And
1: here's my tip for you. Here's my tip for you. We've now created two online courses. Um, the first one was for passive investors, mm-hmm. and the second one was is for people who want to raise capital and syndicate. And the first one, we followed all the rules. We um, we built the course, and then we did the, we built our list and we dripped content to our list over time. We mm-hmm. did live webinars and then we opened the cart, expected everybody to sign up, mm-hmm. and planned to close the cart within two weeks and launch the course. Wow. And so it was a huge undertaking, mm-hmm. but not very many people signed up. <laughs> and at a $1,000 price point, you know, we didn't make very much money for all that time and effort that we put in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So this time around, we completely, we broke all the rules. <laughs> we said, okay, we're not going to build this course yet. Let's figure out if people will actually pay for this course 1st Mm-hmm. So we put together an outline for the course and a sales page for the course. And then we just started talking to people that we knew who might be interested. And we sold the course first, even mm-hmm. though it was only a shell of a course. We didn't have anything yet. <laughs> but we started getting signups. And then we said, Okay guys, we're gonna launch on this date. Mm-hmm. And so One of my favorite quotes is from um, Shonda Rhimes, who writes for TV. And she says, Mm -hmm. writing for TV is like laying track for an oncoming train. Mm -hmm. And it's the same when we've sold a course Mm -hmm. and now we have to build it. The trains are coming. So we got to get the course done. There's no other way. These people have already Mm -hmm. paid us. So it's, it's a gutsy move, but it's also good for us because we have no way out. We have to get the course done.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the second time I heard that, to be honest. The mm. first time I heard it is when I went to uh, 10X with Grant Cardone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Grant Cardone will be like, okay, I want you guys to sell first and build the product later. Yes. And and then after he started promoting Ten X three or four or something like that, he was like, "I'm gonna start selling this event, but I don't have, I don't have the venue booked yet."
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I, I guess we're on the right track if uh, Grant Cardone is is uh, telling people to do it too.
0: Yeah, I mean that that sounds like a pretty good sales model to me. mm mm-hmm. Hey Annie, so as we're approaching you know the end of the show, can you uh, what is your favorite book that super inspired you and created that? Aha! Inspiration moment.
1: One of my favorite business books is called "Building a Story Brand" by mm-hmm. Donald Miller. Okay. And it, I read it at a perfect time in our business. We were trying to figure out what our messaging was, and we had a website, but it wasn't really stellar. I kind of just threw some things up there that I thought people might want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and building a story brand is really about how your business it. It aligns your business trajectory with a story arc,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so typically businesses think that in a story, um, they the business is the hero of the story. They are saving all their customers, right? They are making the impact. Mm-hmm. And so, if we're talking Star Wars, then the business is the Luke Skywalker.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But what building a story brand talks about is no, it's actually your customer is the Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. They are the heroes in the story. They see themselves as the hero of the story. They see your business as the Yoda, the guide. Mm-hmm. And so you have to position your business as the guide in the story. And so that completely changes all of your messaging. Um, So now if you go to our website, you'll see it's all about you. It's about how we can help you to reach Mm -hmm. your goals. Before we were talking about, this is how a real estate syndication works. And Mm -hmm. these are the projected returns that you can expect. And it just, that, that doesn't resonate with people. They want to know how your business will change their lives.
0: I I agree with that. And then I I forgot where I saw this quote from, but I saw a quote that says, if you help enough people achieve their goals, you will achieve your goals in return.
1: Absolutely.
0: Just like that. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Hey Annie, so how can our listeners find out more about you? How can I reach you?
1: The best place to learn more about us is through our website, goodaginvestments.com. Mm-hmm. And you can always reach out to me anytime at annie at com.
0: Great. Awesome, Annie. I'll also include that in the show notes. Uh, thank you for being on the show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. thank you again for sharing all your knowledge.
1: Of course. I had a great time. Always love meeting other people who are crushing it in real estate. <laughs>
2: awesome. All right, Annie. Thank you.